the Gospel of Jesus Christ that solves the most complex problems. The new Christians in Corinth needed to be shown that all of life's most complex problems can be seen through the lens of God's good news in Jesus. And 1 Corinthians challenges the believers to examine every area of life through the lens of what God has done for them in Christ. And specifically in the first four chapters, he addresses the divisions among the church. And says it is the cross of Christ exalted and lifted up. It is Christ crucified that is our rallying cry. Then he addresses uh, uh, food and issues of the weaker brother and the stronger brother. And he, he reminds them that it is for all of them that Christ has died. And they are to set themselves aside as Christ set them, Himself aside for them. And He speaks of the topic of sex and marriage and relationships and reminds them, what, don't you know that your bodies are the temple of God? You're purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. Again, the, the, the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Then our last section that we finished up a couple weeks ago was their worship gatherings beginning in chapter 11 going through the end of chapter 14. And there, He reminds them that it is to manifest the presence of God in their midst. That is made possible through God coming to dwell with us and then in us and through us with the power of the Holy Spirit. And today, He is going to speak to them about the resurrection of believers. So He's all through this book reminded believers that the church is not a popularity contest. That, it's, that followers of Jesus Christ cannot compromise when it comes to sexual integrity. That the core principle of their worship together, their assembly together, is love for others. And then, the, and then today, and through the rest of this chapter of verse 15, that the resurrection gives us the reason for unity, for motivation to maintain sexual purity, for the ability to love other people more than ourselves, and ultimately hope for victory over death. So that our belief that Jesus was raised from the dead makes the good news of God more than simply moral advice, though it is that. More than just simply a recipe to to flourish individually. But to build up Jesus' church, it opens up a whole new reality for every area of our life as individuals and every area of our life as Jesus' church. And so in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul will show why the resurrection is a vital aspect of the Gospel. He's laid out in the first 11 verses, and particularly there in verse 1, he says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the Gospel which I preached to you, which you also have received, and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached to you, unless you have believed in vain. So he right away states here, Brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which you have received, wherein you stand right now, by which also you are being sanctified, you are saved, you are being sanctified, made holy, in the present tense there. And he says it must be printed on the backs of your eyeballs. And he recounts what that message was in its basic points. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. So he says, you're believers. He says, this is the message that you believe. This is the seed that was birthed in you. This is the message of, a, of God's promised plan according to the Scriptures. 
This is the message of God's promised plan of the death of Jesus for our sins. Of the burial of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. And then also the appearance of Jesus to the apostles and other folks. The danger was, in verse 12, that there were some that were teaching there was no resurrection after the believer died. They denied a literal resurrection. There's nothing ahead for us. Yes, Jesus was raised from the dead, but as far as us, there's no resurrection. And Paul will attack that by showing that if it is true, then there is no resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he'll unpack that through the passage by showing us Christ's union with Adam and with God. And if so, here's the consequences if there's no resurrection of Jesus Christ. So it is necessary that they hold fast to that original message that they had received that had been delivered by the apostles. And so, verse 13 on through 19, and then he's going to pick this up in verse 29 through verse 34, will be the consequences of, if we follow your logic, Corinthians, that there's no resurrection, here's what it will look, here's what it will look like. And how bleak is that? Is really what Paul will show them. And so, here are the consequences. Here, I'll kind of lay them out here for you all at once. These are what we'll work through here this morning. Here. First of all, verse 12. Now, if Christ be preached that He rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? So that's the issue that's come up in the church. They know that Christ has been risen from the dead. That was the original message that had been preached to them in chapter 15, 1-4. It is the message that Paul says is of first importance. It is the message that is of highest priority. And now he says, okay, how is it then that you're saying there's no resurrection among the dead for believers? Verse 13, he starts to walk down this path and, and, and lay open the fault of their logic. Here, so the first thing is, he says, if there be no resurrection of the dead, verse 13, then is Christ not risen. Then is Christ not risen. He explains the implications of that later. So we'll get to that later on in the chapter as we work through the chapter. But that's his first statement. If believers are not raised, then Christ was not raised. And that's a big problem. And he'll push down into that later on. And so I'm going to leave that for a future message here. Because that's where he leaves it. But then he says, in verse 14, and if Christ be not risen, if that is true, then here is the next logical fault. Then is our preaching vain. Then is our preaching vain. Our message has no value or basis. I remember um, when we first moved here to this area, um, going on, uh, this year will be 11 years ago, um, we, I, I, I had my, 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 my GPS, my Garmin GPS in my car as I was trying to learn the roads. And I was driving through some of the back roads of Hope. And <clears throat> I think it might have been near Peabody Road um, there in Hope. And my GPS said to follow this road. And I would come out somewhere closer to Route 17. And so I did. And then I saw that the road started turning into a dirt road. And then I saw that the road started getting narrower. And then I saw that there were boulders in the road down the, you know, not, not like a line of boulders across, but kind of haphazard boulders on the road. And, 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 I, and, I, and I got to a place where I was like, okay, so I, I know Maine is rural, but this is a little too much here. 
I ended up having to back up all the way back to the main road, and later I found out that it was an ATV road um, there that my GPS was telling me to go through. It was a dead-end road. It was a dead-end road is the point. And, 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 and Paul says, your message without the resurrection is like a dead-end road. It has no basis. It has no value. But not only that, he says, if our preaching is vain, then your faith is also vain. Your belief has no value or basis. It's like, it's like Clint, you're a big fireworks guy. So every 4th of July, Clint gets a bunch of fireworks. Puts on a great show. But let's imagine that um, Clint had the fireworks in his car and he just parked his car and left it there in his parking lot. And he left his windows down and it rained that night. And so the next day, Clint's promising everybody he's going to have a great big fireworks show and invites everybody over and he brings up the fireworks, he gets them all set up and he tries to light them and they're all wet. How empty is that, right? The anticipation. The shame. Waiting for a great big show and then nothing. Nothing. And that's what Paul says, your belief has no value or basis. It's like, without the resurrection, it's like having wet fireworks that are impossible to ignite. It's purposeless. And then he says this, Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that He, that he raised up Christ, Messiah, whom He raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. Paul says, if this is true, then imagine a courtroom scene where He have declared to you the message of God to you. Then the Apostles' doctrine of, of Christ who is risen is perjury. We are false witnesses, Paul says. We have borne witness against God that He raised from the dead. We have accused God falsely of doing something that He did not in fact do, if you Corinthians are right. See the weight of this. Paul says, we are, we are practicing perjury in God's courtroom. And then he says this, For if the dead rise not, then is Christ, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. You are yet in your sins. So he's already declared to them that their, their faith would be vain if there is no resurrection. He has told them earlier in 1 Corinthians 15, verses uh, 1 through 11, um, that it's a grace of God, that, that, uh, that God's gospel is salvation, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is there. He says it's the gospel that was preached to you, that you receive, that you stand in, by which you are saved. If you keep in memory, that's faith. If you keep in memory, which I preached to you, unless you had believed in vain. And then uh, later on in verse 10, he, as, as he's described himself, who has come to Christ, from the gospel, he says, one born out of due time. Then he says in verse 9, For I am not, for I am the least of the apostles, that am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecute the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. God's grace accomplished His purpose in Paul's life. And Paul says, But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. And so now he says this, And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. You are yet dead in your sins. And here's really the crux of the issue, isn't it? 
If Christ is not raised, and if there is no resurrection of believers, then it means that there's no, there was no resurrection of Christ. If there's no resurrection of Christ, and Paul says ultimately it will lead to this, it means that then we are under the eternal punishment for our sins. There is no rescue. There is no salvation. It is all or nothing. It is defeat or victory. Either Jesus rose in victory or we are defeated. It either, either we are rescued or we are bearing the condemnation of our sins. And Paul means that there, there is no future of any kind for you with God if there is no resurrection. Because they would have died in their sins, they would have perished along with the rest of fallen humanity. He says you were still, or you would still, you would be yet in your sins. Now think about this. Let's think about this church here. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11 had said about them, that such were some of them. But they had been washed. They had been sanctified, right? They had been forgiven. They had been cleansed. Here they were in their sins and through the Gospel that had been preached to them, God had rescued them from their sins and they were washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. They were cleansed. And now you see why He said what He did in verses 3-5. through he quoted the, the, the nutshell there of the Gospel. It comes into focus here. Because part of that nutshell of the Gospel was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if they were going to not deny their future of a resurrection, their resurrection is only guaranteed, and he'll talk about this later, because of Christ's resurrection. Christ is the first fruits. They're the ones who follow. He is the head. They're the body that will follow in Christ's resurrection. And that has a net effect here of denial of your past. If there is no resurrection, then there would be no forgiveness of sins on the basis of Christ's death. Now let me show you how crucial the resurrection of Jesus Christ is for your current standing with God and your future standing. Go with me to Romans chapter 4, please. Romans chapter 4. Because it's not only our home in heaven that the resurrection affects, it's also our standing with God. In Romans chapter 4, in verse 25, Paul says this so clearly. Jesus, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. The resurrection of Jesus Christ guarantees that God can declare over you that He does not see you through the description of what you really truly are. Which Romans 3 describes us as a, a heart that is deceitful, a heart that is vile, a heart that wants to, to simply just live for itself, a, a, a heart uh, that, that, that does not want the reign of God over it, but a heart that wants to do its own thing and a heart that ultimately is a rebellion against God, that what Paul will say in Ephesians 2, is dead in trespasses and sins. And Paul says here in Romans chapter 4, verse 25, that it's the resurrection of God that through your faith in what Jesus did in His death, burial, and resurrection for you, in your place, that God looks upon you now not as what your heart is, 
But He declares over you that you are the very goodness of God Himself imputed to your account. That God looks at you as though you have always obeyed and though you have never sinned. That's what justification is. God's declaration of Christ's goodness, His righteousness credited to your account. Through His death, He has taken the punishment for your sins. He has brought you back to, to, uh, to, to, to uh, by taking the condemnation. Through His resurrection, He declares over you that because of Christ's sacrifice on your behalf, that you are perfectly righteous in standing. Now, in practice, you are not perfectly righteous, and that's where the stage of sanctification comes in, isn't it? That's where the stage of, 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 of God's, God's uh, commission to the disciples to go make disciples is teaching them to obey whatsoever God has commanded, right? That's where we grow in godliness. That's what comes out of what God has done for us. That's what He saves us for, right? To become formed to the image of His Son, Romans 8.29. Uh, to be rooted and built up in Him, in Christ, uh, Colossians 2. To grow up into Him in the full measure and stature of Jesus Christ, Ephesians 4. That's what your, the, the, the Gospel has, has been given to you for, to produce little Christs, as they were called in Antioch. But the resurrection guarantees your justification. That through the grace and mercy of God, God can look at you as though you have never sinned and though you have always obeyed, though we know that is not true of our lives. He chooses to see us that way because of one who has stood in our place. So that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, If Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. You are yet in your sins. God would not declare this over you. But also, look at Romans chapter 5 and verse 10. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled we shall be saved by His life. His life. The truth that He is alive. The death of Jesus as for us includes not only our justification, but as Paul will say in Romans 6-8, it also includes our growing in holiness. Christ died we identified with Him. Christ raised, now we live a resurrected life. So it's huge. It's huge here. And Paul's telling us in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Christ's resurrection did not exist because you say your own resurrection is a myth, then we are under the eternal punishment for our sins. There is no salvation. There is no salvation. And so really what he's showing us is the severity of our sins against the God of heaven. You see, not all crimes are the same. Let me give you an example. If, 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 if um, you threaten to kill me, or I threaten to kill you, I, 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 me and you probably won't receive the same consequences as that threat made to the President of the United States. Right? If you sin against me or I sin against you, we're finite creatures, uh, uh, versus sin against an almighty God, now you have an infinite person. And the truth is, Scripture tells us that all sins are ultimately against almighty God, the infinite person. And so when a creation sins, uh, 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 
a person made in God's image, created for His glory, for His purposes, rebels and sins against the Infinite One. The penalty, therefore, is eternal. It's eternal. There, in other words, there could be no end to the payment that would be exacted of me. And that's why hell is eternal punishment. Because it, therein, it begs the question, it implies that I cannot pay for it. Because I have sinned against an eternally, infinitely holy God. But here's the beauty of the Gospel. Christ was the infinite person of God in man. And He could pay for the finite man as the one who is fully, eternally, perfectly righteous, perfectly good, and He died in our place. And in our passage, He was raised as a satisfactory, eternal payment for our sin. So He overcame the penalty of sin, the death of the cross, by rising again in our place. So the giving of Himself on the cross was not the end of the story. The glory and wonder of that sacrifice is glorious, Paul is saying here, when he's saying that without the resurrection you're still dead in your sins. The glorious part of this is because He rose from the dead, it is the seal of our salvation. That was the proof the Son's penalty had been paid in full. Jesus is not in heaven still today paying for our sins. It is finished, and His resurrection sealed the deal. It closed the accounts payable. You can think of it like this. You can think of Christ's resurrection as a store receipt. If you're in the department store and you buy some clothes, uh, and uh, you're in a, maybe a larger mall, and uh, there's multiple cash, out, uh, cash registers in that particular store, one of the larger stores, that department store, not just the ones at the entry of the store, but in different departments they have cash registers. And so you buy uh, particular items of clothes and you get the receipt in this section of the department store. And you're still walking around to that department store and you have the receipt. And one of the security guards says, excuse me, can I look in your bag? If you didn't have the receipt, you could get in some trouble, couldn't you? If somebody stops you, you want to be able to hold up the receipt and say, okay, security, don't trouble me because this proves that these items have been paid for and I don't have to pay it again. And the resurrection is the giant receipt that is stamped across history for all people who put their trust in it. A receipt that allows you to know that your future is certain if you believe in Jesus Christ. Without the resurrection, we are yet in our sins. But with the resurrection, we have the eternal receipt of God's assurance. Or you can think of it in this way. If someone goes into jail because the law says that ten years in jail is punishment for that specific crime. The day that man comes out of jail, he is paid for his crime. That law has no claim on him anymore. He's a free man. And the scripture says the wages, the payment, the demand of sin is death. And when Christ went down into death, He paid for our debt. When He came out of the grave, it means it was paid in full. Christ's resurrection proves it was fully paid. And we are not now yet still in our sins. It also means that Paul says in verse 18, if there's no resurrection of the believer, then there's no resurrection of Christ. And there's no resurrection of Christ. And verse 18 says, and they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. 
And believers that are already dead have perished. And he's speaking to these people who have seen some of their own loved ones gone on. And he says, if what you're saying is true, then it means that those dear beloved ones who had put their faith in this gospel in verses 3 through 4 have gone the way of everybody else. Philip Yancey describes a unique funeral custom that was conduct, that is conducted by a certain group of African Muslims. Um, when a relative dies, close family and friends circle around the casket and they, they quietly gaze at the corpse. There's no singing, there's no flowers, there's not even any tears. And every one of them receives, <clears throat> receives a peppermint candy that's passed out to each of them. And at a signal, each one in, in sync, in conjunction, puts that candy in his or her mouth. And when the candy is dissolved and gone, each participant is reminded that life for that person is over. Believe that that life simply dissolves. How empty, right? How empty. And Paul is saying here, how empty would it be if Christ, if you are, if there is no resurrection, it means that those who have gone on before you uh, to glory, there is no glory, and they have perished, and they just life is done. But then he says this in verse seventeen: And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain; you are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. So seven, if Christ only affects just this life, and then that's it, then it's meaningless because there's no eternity with God. Now we know that the resurrection of Jesus Christ affects our here and now and the future. That's the beauty of it, right? But if he says it only affects right now, and then you're gone and dead, that's it. How meaningless is life? What are the ramifications? What are the repercussions? What are the rewards? In the summer of 2010, the popular author and atheist Christopher Hitchens was diagnosed with cancer. He has since passed. But he wrote, uh, described his battle with the illness of cancer in an article he wrote for the Vanity Fair magazine. And he said this, I am badly oppressed by a gnawing sense of waste. I had real plans for my next decade and felt I'd worked hard enough to earn it. Will I really not live to see my children married? To watch the World Trade Center rise again? To the dumb question, why me, the cosmos, the universe, he's a materialist, just believes this world is all there is, barely bothers to return the the reply, why not? I sometimes wish I were suffering in a good cause, or risking my life for the good of others instead of just being a gravely endangered patient. Allow me to inform you, though, that when you sit in a room with a set of other finalists and kindly people bring a huge transparent bag of poison to plant into your arm, he's referring to his chemotherapy treatment, and you either read or don't read a book while the venom sack gradually empties into your system, you feel swamped with passivity and impotence, dissolving in powerlessness like a sugar lump and water. And that's what it is without the resurrection. And believers have the hope of the resurrection. It's a motivating force. It's a powerful engine in our lives. Friends close to uh, country music artist Willie Nelson 
said he was deeply affected by the loss of a fellow artist, Ray Price, who died at the age of 87 in December 2013. Willie Nelson said, he was my best friend. He was kind of everything in my career. All the way back when I first started writing songs for him, playing bass for him, he just took me in and raised me. And they asked Willie Nelson how he, how he managed the reality of death. And he said this, Oh, we're all going to die. Who was it? Seneca, the thinker, that said you should look at death and comedy with the same expression of countenance. You can't be afraid of living or dying. You live and you die. That's just what happens. So you can't be afraid of it. And obviously these are coming from people without the hope of the Gospel here. But friends... If there is no resurrection, we're in the same boat. It's meaningless. It's purposeless. Maybe some of you have heard people mistakenly say, well, Christianity is just a good way of life. And even if it wasn't true, it's just a good way to live, a wholesome way to live. And Paul says, no way, you're nuts. Later on in the passage, he'll say, if there is no hope, if there is no future, go out and live it up. Party hard. Because that's all you have. And while those people might be uh, well-meaning, they're absolutely mistaken according to 1 Corinthians 15. Because the resurrection is not like an appendix that can be removed and you still kind of function without it. It, Explaining it away or, or turning it into a myth or spiritualizing it that it was not the physical resurrection of Jesus. It was only resurrection in a spiritual sense. It's like sawing the branch off that you're sitting on. It's the resurrection, Romans chapter 6 tells us, that allows us and gives us the power to live differently. To deny our flesh for the sake of Christ. To live to righteousness. Endure the sufferings of the world, Romans 8. Because of the world that is to come. The resurrection is where our power comes from. Without it, we are walking in molasses. We are drowning in syrup and honey. We're, we're sluggish. We're apathetic. We, we settle in sin. We settle for lesser and temp, more temporal things that don't last. Momentary things. But the resurrection reminds us that we are not still yet in our sins. That we have been purchased away from that into eternal life, eternal treasure, eternal joy. John said in John 7, Jesus said in John 73, this is life eternal, that they may know you, to know God now, and to be certain that there will come one day when you will come to the presence of God and a new creation, and you will see Him as He is. And the resurrection guarantees that. Because Jesus of Nazareth, who possessed a real, resurrected human body, is alive. He's as real as the person sitting next to you. Because of the resurrection. And while we look back at the cross, we look forward to His coming because He is alive. By virtue of the resurrection. And we will be raised with Him in His likeness. One author writes about the resurrection and the importance of it in understanding that it is the dividing line, isn't it, in our faith. It is, it, is, it, is, it is so crucial. It's fundamental. You can't take the resurrection out and have, have our faith anymore. He, he, he says the resurrection is like a river that, that, that parts a road. So you have a, you have a road and then all of a sudden it meets a river. 
On the other side of the river is that road that continues. And people on the road are approaching the river. And they arrive at this river representing the resurrection. And you look across to it, you see where the road can continue to go, and you see some, so a few cars that, have, that, have, that, are, that are going down that road on the other side. And you might doubt, you can't imagine how those people got to the other side of that river. How'd they get across? How do people with rational minds come to the belief that Jesus died and rose from the dead? It's crazy, isn't it? If you don't think it's crazy, you haven't thought about it hard enough. When Paul, when Paul says the one who you are worshiping was man, God, the God who became man, and he, and he was killed and he's raised from the dead, the Athenians said, you're nuts. You're crazy. But the author says, faith is the unnoticed fairy lying hidden near the bank of the river that can take us from the riverbank of doubt to the other side of belief in the resurrection. But friends, I want to remind you too that it is not blind faith. There are reasons the Gospel writers have put out the details of the story of the resurrection. There are reasons in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-11, Paul says, go ask Peter, he saw it, and he's still alive. Go ask James, he saw it. He saw, and he says, I, I saw Jesus with my own eyes on the road to Damascus. And he said he also appeared to 500 brethren at once, which is an impossible hallucination. You cross with your eyes wide open because either the resurrection of Jesus Christ is true or it's not. It's all or nothing. Now I realize this morning I'm probably speaking to the choir. Yeah, I know Jesus rose, rose from the dead. And I put my faith and trust in Jesus for my sins. And I, and I have been born again. And I am looking forward to His future appearing because He is alive because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we want to rejoice in that, don't we? But we also want to remember that it is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that empowers us too every moment of every day, of every week of our lives. And it is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that helps us put in perspective the temptations of sin, don't they? And say, okay, here's, what, here's the plate of scum that the devil is offering me, and here's what the resurrection offers me. It's the resurrection that replaces inferior things with superior things. Namely, the reward of God and knowing God. And so, friends, I don't know what specific aspect of sin you might be wrestling with, um, perhaps there are people here who are like most of the cross-section of America. There might be men here who are wrestling with pornography. The resurrection can deliver you from pornography. There might be people here who might be wrestling with other kinds of addictions that might not be so uh, ugly and dirty in, the, in, in some people's eyes, but you know deep down that that thing that always grabs your heart, that you gravitate toward, is sin against God and you have elevated it in a place that it is not that it should not be. And you are worshipping a created thing more than God. It could be something good, couldn't it? It could be me putting my family at an exalted level above God in His will. It could be me putting a hobby in a wrong place. Or it could be something as good as earning a living for my work, but, treat, but seeing my work and my job as more than what it should be. It becoming my identity. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, the death of Jesus Christ, slays those things, right? 
Romans 6 tells us. We can put it to death. Romans 8 tells us we can mortify it. But it's the resurrection of Jesus that allows us and gives us the power then to live for the glory of God. And I wonder this morning if there may be an individual here who is not a believer in Jesus Christ. You may have heard these things before. Perhaps today is the first time you've heard these things before. And you're wondering, how is this relevant to me? What does God expect from His Word? What What is God telling me today? How is God in His love and mercy, how has He brought me here today to hear His eternal words? I want to tell you this morning that there are no accidents with God. And the Word of God bears on all of us as a heavy weight. And not one of us can live up to the demands of perfection that the Word of God demands for life with God. And because of that, we have all fallen short of glorifying God, the Scripture says. But through one man, the God-man Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, Jesus has come down. He is born as a babe. He, 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 he endured the sufferings that we endured. He faced temptations of sin to rebel against God, to go against His Word, and yet He came out victorious. And when it was time for Him to take the payment of sin, He went to the cross willingly and said, I will lay down my life. And He lays down His life on the cross and He takes the punishment uh, that, that you and I deserve of our sin on the cross and He bears that on His own shoulders. You and I could never bear that. That's why hell is eternal. And he's there in the tomb three days, good and dead. And on the third day, he rises victoriously, miraculously. The scripture says, God the Father through the Holy Spirit raised him up to life. Not in some uh, 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 um, um, uh, mythical way. Not in, just a, not in a spiritual sense, like His Spirit is alive among us. But He walked out of that tomb and ate and drank and was seen by His followers. And everything rests on that truth. Where are you with God? Believer, everything rests on that truth with you, with your walk with God, doesn't it? The sanctification, going back to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ... Slaying sin, living the righteousness. Romans 6 through 8, over and over again. Ephesians 4, putting off, being renewed in your mind, putting on. But, unbeliever who is still lost in their sins, you are, as Paul says here, yet still in your sins without Christ. It doesn't mean that those who have trusted in Christ are perfect people. It means that they will struggle, but they have the power now to live a perfect life. To live a life that's obedient to God. And there will not be a day when they will, there will not be a day on this earth when they will fully arrive in perfection, but they are striving by God's grace to grow into the likeness of Jesus Christ. So this morning, Scripture says today is the day of salvation. And if you do not have your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, death, for the forgiveness of your sins and His resurrection for a new life. Today is the day. And I wonder this morning here at the end of the service if you would speak to me and say, today is the day that I would like to put my faith and trust completely in Jesus Christ. I know that before God I stand as one who has not measured up to God's righteousness. I know that through the, the, 
simply go through the list of the Ten Commandments that I have fallen short of God's glory and honoring Him. But I know that there is one who stood in my place, Jesus, who bore my punishment on the cross, and it will give me His perfect righteousness, His perfect record, and so that God will choose to see me as He sees His own Son, Jesus Christ, by my trust in this message here this morning. That's where life is. That's where the transfer from eternal death and punishment forever in hell to eternal life with God that begins now and continues for all eternity begins. Today is the day of salvation. And God's invitation to you is always repent and believe. Turn your perspective as a sinner. See yourself in desperate need under God's condemnation, drowning in the sea of sin, and see Christ as the great rescuer and deliverer and call upon Him to rescue. That's always God's invitation. Repent and believe. Let's pray. I wonder this morning if there is an individual that would indicate simply by a slipped up hand that today's the day I realize I am lost in my sins and today's the day I'm putting faith in Jesus alone. There are no good things that I can do to earn favor with God because I'm a finite creature and I am flawed and sinful and God is an infinitely perfect God. But today I am trusting in the sacrifice of another and His resurrection for my rescue. Is there anyone who would indicate that this morning by simple raising of your hand. And I wonder this morning, believers, have we knelt at the tomb, the empty tomb, as much as we have knelt at the cross? This week, the past couple weeks have been a very, very difficult week's in some respects, and certainly in other respects, nothing like some other people have faced, myself personally. And the thing that helps me get through some of these difficulties and discomforts and realities of life is recognizing I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and understanding that I comes through His resurrection. That there is reward on the other side and what we do echoes into eternity. And understanding that because our Savior is alive, our Savior will return and our Savior will reward. Let's close in prayer.